welcome back to iProperty Radio with Brian Fox and myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on social media at iProperty Radio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Now, in the hot or the PropTech hot seat today is Adam Ferguson, Chief Commercial Officer of DAF.ie, part of Distilled. Adam, we've been dying to get you into the PropTech hot seat for weeks. Thank you so much for joining us. Delighted to be here. Thanks a million for the invite. Um, I think it was always built to be in the hot seat, so I'm happy with that. <laughs> Very good. Well, that's what we like to hear. So, Adam, I don't think there's many in our audience that wouldn't be familiar with DAFT as one of the leading property portals in Ireland. But um, for anyone uninitiated, you might just explain the DAFT.ie offering. Yeah, so we're a, uh, depends how you describe it, we're a property portal, effectively a web-based portal to help people find uh, houses for sale and rent and to help uh, estate agents primarily, but also secondarily vendors, et cetera, to advertise their properties for sale. So we aggregate supply and we aggregate demand as well as doing other things since, but that's our primary function. Um, DAP.ie certainly was one of the key reports uh, that people in the industry would have been relying on for gosh, well over a decade. Now, the market has changed a lot and there's almost a sense of I don't say for boarding, but for boarding, but there's certainly a familiarity from anybody who was in the marketplace kind of 15 years ago now. How, from your latest market insights, looking only say at the residential market, what kind of trends are you picking up on at the moment? So, you know, we probably, the estate agents probably see it first, any changes in the market around demand, but we're still seeing a huge imbalance between demand and supply. Um, there might be some cooling and growth, but there's still growth. So, you know, the headlines are still very similar, albeit the, you know, the want is for a change in the market. I think interest rates are going to impact things. Um, people are going to, that's going to impact borrowing. We did some analysis on the DAF mortgages side recently <clears throat> to look at the percentage of people who would be impacted by affordability outside of the three and a half times limit if interest rates were to increase. And the, depending on the volume, you increase interest rates by the demand drops. Um, and that's going to impact new homes demand at some point, but we haven't seen it. Year to date, we've had 70,000 leads in new homes. Um, look, I'm, I'm not the only commentator to say that we need 35,000 new homes um, annually. We're nowhere close to that. That's causing lots of stress. Um, huge stress for first-time buyers. Um, I wouldn't like to be a first-time buyer in this market. I think it's re really, really, really difficult. Um, related to that, and, and you know, lots of your listeners will know this, planning permission is a problem. Judicial reviews, infrastructure, but you know, the not-in-my-backyard objections are causing a huge problem from a volume perspective in the short term. I, you know, I, I, I really love the concept of yes in my backyard, Yard yeah. by uh, you know Carl Dieter put in a, a observation on a development near his house that was going to impact him, um, but he's pro development because he knows we have a housing crisis, um, and I think there needs to be more of that publicised, and people need to be more willing to stand up and say yes, we need these houses regardless of impacts from local residents. Um, nothing comes for free; everybody has to compromise to to, to help us resolve this. Uh, it's going to take more. So that's planning, that's short term. Yeah. If you look yeah. long term, and I think of the example of Cherrywood, 20 years ago, 
it was set up as an SDZ, so a strategic development zone. The first residential, first person to move in will be in the next, if it hasn't been the last few weeks, is, is, is now. So it's taken 20 years from inception to delivery. And where's the next Cherrywood? You know, that's, that's, not, that's still only a portion of the number of houses we need in any one given year. The Lewis line was built in 2004. Up until last year, there was cows grazing in Lawnstown right next to it. It doesn't happen overnight. And the foresight needed, and I don't envy the government, this isn't an easy task, but the foresight needed on zoning and future infrastructural development, be that Irish water, be it transport, or all of the above, is huge. You so know, Adam, I, there's there's an awful lot there to, to unpack and what you're saying. And, yeah. and look, you're absolutely right. But let's let's start with the things maybe that might be of immediate concern. So say in terms of um, the mortgage stress stress test, we're seeing in the UK a, a slackening of this, whereby uh, home buyers are not going to be required to be stress tested in terms of their mortgages. We still have much tighter controls here in Ireland and it doesn't look like they're going away anytime soon which obviously is a good thing because this is a, this is a lesson that we've learned from the crash but in terms of our macro prudential rules you know the fact that we're still limiting at three and a half times a borrower salary when we know across the eurozone it's more likely to be four and a half times which is still considered um conservative are the irish mortgages or mortgage lending is that too conservative for the current marketplace? I mean, it's a different situation, but I, I, I was a small time property developer in 2006 and seven and eight. And, you know, I personally felt the brunt of this. I know lots of people with what happened where people are overextended from a residential mortgage and, and from a you know, business perspective with borrowing. It's not a healthy thing to happen. So we need to be very careful and interest rates are going to increase. Um, and if you don't stress test in that environment, then that's a straight up mistake, I think, because affordability will be affected and we need sustainable solutions and we don't need people pressed for with energy costs and they're not able to afford their mortgages either. Now, I spoke to someone recently about what happened in the 70s and late 70s and early 80s. And, you know, the banks had to do deals where you pay, say your interest is 15%, you were paying 10% and your mortgage was going up by 5% per annum. So that's very difficult. I, I think we need to be very careful. Um, and I think that comes down to government intervention around subsidizing the, the construction of houses. It's not about putting stacks of personal debt on people. It's about building houses. And there's more ways to do that then allow people to borrow as much money as they can or borrow more money. I'm not saying that you said to go to, to four and a half times, but making affordable mortgages and maybe we need affordable property and we need, we need intervention that allows for cost-effective development. The price of construction materials has gone through, you know, it's gone, it's gone crazy and, and there's going to be greater inflation. And I think we may need government intervention in a way that gives us housing. You know, um, it's, it, it, I, I'm really delighted that you've actually positioned it as that because, you know, if we had a politician in that seat, they would not be able to say it like that. They would have to talk about incentivizing home buyers, first time buyers, uh, people returning um, or people looking for a fresh start. Essentially, it is only politically palatable to talk about incentivizing buyers when actually 
we know what's needed is on the supply side. I mean, you've referenced a figure there of 35,000 per year, but I know Ronan Lyons um, routinely would talk about 50,000 new homes needed per year for the foreseeable. And in fact, uh, Sherry Fitzgerald's um, Marion Finnegan recently ramped that up and said, actually, you know, we could be looking at a figure from 50 to 60,000 needed annually per year. And that's the highest I've heard a commentator in, in the marketplace talk about it. But there's, it takes a lot of political bravery to come out and say, um, home builders build homes. Local authorities actually are depending on local home builders. So whether you call them property developers or home builders, the reality is they are physically building homes. They're the people who actually need that, that um, form of incentive. And not just in terms of incentive to make it profitable, but at this point, incentive to make it viable. It's just not politically palatable to do that. And so actually what we're looking at on the supply side is a lack of political bravery causing a problem. Do you see that that's likely to change? So I, I prefer not to comment to uh, to provide political commentary too too too, too much, but it you know it's always very difficult. You, you, if you want to be successful in politics, you have to win the next election. Um, and I, but I think we need longer term views and foresight here to solve this problem because it's a big problem. And you're right, it's 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 much more than it's thirty five thousand homes just to get to the the year on year population increase. We already have a cramming issue. We have way more people per unit than anyone else in Europe. Um, at least way more than the average in Europe, and we've this. You know, we've been doing fifteen thousand houses a year for a number of years when we needed thirty-five thousand. So we have a whole load of pent-up demand, um, and I think, that, you know, if you, if you, I, I think about the rental space quite a lot. And if you think about the mom and pop landlord, and the institutional investor, we need social housing as well. But if you take those three segments, they're they're the three groupings that are going to help solve the rental crisis. The mom and pop landlord and the institutional developer or, or investor needs a profit. There is no other way that they're going to operate in that space. And if you take, you know, a much more palatable from a political perspective, the mom and pop landlord, we know that the PRS is seen as, you know, someone who shouldn't make profit and who's taking and not supplying. But I, I, I feel very, very genuinely that they've offered a lot of supply. And now it's possible, you know, for, for our staff and DAF, for example, to get accommodation in Dublin, they're they're using the, the built to rent solutions, and they're very good, and they're and they're you know high quality, purpose built, and um, you know the reason they're not affordable is because there's not enough of them. And if there was more, you know, I'm I'm an advocate of supply and basic economic concepts, which is supply and demand. And if we could get more supply into the market, but to take a more palatable grouping, which is the mom and pop landlord, um, they need to be incentivized. If they're not incentivized, it's a you know it's a lot of hassle. The red tape's increasing. You know, I was speaking to an agent the other day about the, the RTB requirements and their system and everything. The red tape is increasing. As a private landlord, you know your 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 tenants' rights are increased. We've all heard the horrific stories of of poor quality tenants, albeit in most cases tenants are exceptional and really good. Um, but the the landlord needs to be protected. The landlord needs to make money. They're taxed out of it. You know, anyone who's middle-class owner of a proper rental property is paying 50 odd tax, percent tax, you know, renovations are expensive, maintaining to the quality that people need to keep energy costs down. I mean, lots of those properties are gonna need significant retrofits and upgrading. 
who's going to pay for that? That's, you know, the, the, the landlord's not making enough money. Yeah, um, private. I think the private landlord one is a, a, it's it's almost a conversation that's just coming to a head because only in, in the most recent uh, in the in the recent weeks we know that there are plans under consideration for um, tax incentives for private landlords, and this is essentially to stop the mass exodus from the market that we've been seeing since about 2017, 2018. And I know the most recent uh, REA um, house price sentiment uh, survey, they, they certainly spoke about, I, I think, 32% of second-hand homes coming to the market now being brought by exiting landlords. So, yeah. so there's, there's almost two separate issues there. It's to stop the flow of existing private landlords out of the market, and then second to that, to incentivize new private landlords into the market. And we seem to be doing a bad job on both fronts. Yeah, well, we don't have enough supply. So, so regardless, you know, the first time buyer, this impacts then the first time buyer, and this has become a real political football, you know. Is it, is it, is it rental versus sales? And depending on the audience at the time, people are, you know, there's influencers in social media who would be very orientated towards the sales space. And then at the same time, throwing out, you know, uh, challenges on the, on the rental side. So more stock everywhere is really important. And what you'd like to see is, you know, back in back in the, the last 15, 20 years, if you talk to a developer who was developing 10 years ago, they'll tell you that, look, investors came in and bought 10 to 20% of my stock and rented it out. And they bought the houses on the corners that the, the, the first-time buyers didn't want or the family homes that, that weren't wanted as family homes mm-hmm. um, from a principal primary residence perspective. And that's just not happening. And if we had more supply, if we had lower construction costs, which, you know, there maybe maybe that's a dream, but I think the government can influence these things. And if we had more stock that's affordable, then, and a tax regime that worked for landlords, then first-time buyers would be able to buy houses and landlords would be able to buy houses. And that's what we need. You know, in terms um, of new supply, one of the other things that you touched on earlier was around NIMBYism, this not-in-my-backyard concept. And there are a few initiatives popping up here, but there's an excellent one in London and... Um, it's called uh, London Yimby. So it's essentially trying to educate homeowners in London um, about the benefits of allowing development on their street. Um, so because there's this, this this concern, people trying to protect what they have already. But, it, you know, one part of it was education, but the second part was shared benefit. So how can people who are living on a street benefit if they allow or don't don't object to uh, developments coming in on their street where there is space for it because the same concerns are always given. It's always given. Nobody thinks they're objecting on grounds of not in my backyard. People are genuine when they are when they talk about their concerns about traffic flow and school places and and all of these other things, including environmental concerns. So I, I do believe that homeowners are genuine when they talk about that the reality is it still amounts to we need homes just not in my backyard so there's an education process but how can we how can we help people to get the benefits within their community of doing this so is like is that something that daft.ie is this something that you've considered do you have a role to play in this i i I don't know if we have a role um but we do have an opinion whether that's uh or i certainly have an opinion um if you take 
you know, for example, I, I, I lived near Cherrywood previously and, you know, the creation of the Lewis stop was a huge benefit to me. The creation of a school, there was creches that were built before the development opened. So, you know, there was good quality creches that were really, really accessible um, with good parking facilities because the development hadn't started um, and, and right next to Lewis. So you could, you know, drop your kid, jump on the Lewis and, and go into town and, and, and go to work. So all of those facilities that came with the, the development of Cherrywood was, were really significant to local residences and had lots of value. If you combine um, that with schools, but they definitely weren't achieved in one political cycle, which no. brings us back to everybody need. Do you know, it, it, it dawns on me, or like I, I'm reminded of that old phrase, um, is it that society grows great when all men plant trees that they won't ever, under whose shade they, they won't ever sit. Um, and placemaking is a little like that. We need everybody to be forward thinking for the next generation. And that's something maybe that, that isn't happening at the moment. But Adam, I'm conscious of time and I'm conscious of, of controlling what's in the controllable, seeing solving what, what might actually um, be within the rounds to solve here. So but on the topic of trees, oh yes. it, is, it is the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. And the next best, best time to plant a tree is now. And, you know, there needs to be movement really fast mm -hmm. or else we won't solve the problem for the future. And we can kick it down the road for as long as we like. But if we don't get supply significantly up and plant those trees today, we won't be in a place that fixes this problem for But, but how, how crazy is it that we're not actually even saying uh, we need people to plant the trees? What we're really saying is we need people to stop objecting to trees being planted. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. you know, it, it is ridiculous when you turn it on its head like that but look there's a huge education role like genuinely i don't blame uh, the communities in this instance i genuinely believe the industry has not done a good enough job in communicating plans in and, and in making sure that the existing communities benefit from the development which we know they will you've just referenced it in cherrywood we know they will but Tell them, show them how. So there's an education process that needs to happen, but it needs to be more collaborative as opposed to tick box. Um, but, you, you know, the, again, um, there, that almost feels like a larger problem for another day. Let's take it back a step, maybe to some of the things that uh, yourself and the team within DAP.ie are doing to actually streamline this process to, you know, some of the digital tools. Because again, you're sitting in the PropTech hot seat today. We want to know about the technology that you're doing that's actually making Ireland's property property uh, system, um, if not necessarily the marketplace flow? So we are distilled, we're Daft and Dillon and Adverts.ie and our mission is to make better buying, selling and renting for everyone in Ireland. So what that means is, you know, that includes all of the stakeholders, includes agents, vendors, buyers in the case of property sales, which is the most topical here today, what we've seen recently is a really strong increase and we see the role of technology like our technology. You know, you can you can search for a property, send a lead to an agent 24 seven. So, you know, what we've seen is from talking to customers is that, you know, most properties are bought by couples. So someone and their partner, two partners get together, they discuss it outside of our work hours and, you know, decisions are made not in nine to five 
and conversations and communications with agents are now happening more and more outside of office hours. And that's really difficult for agents. Um, and it's, it's costly from a, a human resource perspective. And we believe that technology should resolve this and create the 24 seven experience that's really um, interactive. So, you know, I take an example, I was, I was bidding on a house a few years ago and, you know, I'd be in and out of meetings all day and I played phone tennis with the agent. And then I, you know, get on the Lewis at six o'clock and try to make the call and then and the office is closed and I know that day there's been three or four bids and that's really frustrating so our most recent tool in that space is is offers by daft and you know we're seeing that 33 percent of bids are made outside of hours now you know some agents say I don't, I don't want to engage with a tool like this because it's um it's effectively taking away the personal touch um and our argument to that we'll call it of sorts is that you still need the personal touch in that you should understand exactly who the bidder is and you know from the vendor's perspective that's really important because you know there's time wasters there's people who don't have funding in place there's people who have the wrong intention i i, I always love the story of one of our product managers moved from the uk and an estate agent showed him a house in um kildare and he was he, he, he was looking to bid on it and they were really, really uncomfortable that his partner hadn't seen the property, you know, accepting a bid from somebody who, who both parties haven't seen it, it's difficult. And that nuance is really important on the estate agent side. But if I want to make a bid at one o'clock in the morning because I've finished work and I happen to work as a chef, um, I should be able to do that. And then not have to, to, you know, if there's three or four bidders in a house and there's 30 or 40 bids, that's hundreds and hundreds, that's hundreds of phone calls that have to happen. And there's no efficiency for anybody because I think later in the chain, the conversation is now it's at X. It's not a, it's not a Y anymore. Um, and, you know, there's mistrust because people feel like it's not transparent. They don't see all of the bits there. We think the technology can really solve that and make the agent look good and make the agent really efficient. Um, Adam, so, are you still are you still come up against resistance from agents now? Because I mean, I, I feel like online bidding is something that was introduced um, not just for for auction but for private treaty prior to COVID. But during COVID, you know, when people became so much more familiar with the tools, I mean, both kind of the consumers but also the agents, um, because I think that actually PropTech has shown us that the innovation in the early days was very much consumer led and the agents had to get on board. Whereas I can see a shift in that now and I can see the agents really understanding the advantages that technology brings. And so they're, they've really, to my mind, kind of grabbed it and run. So they're, they're no, no longer being led by consumers. Now they're actually um, preempting consumers needs, which is where we needed them to get to. But are you still now, po I, I can't, we can't say post COVID, but post the, the two years of restrictions and all that we've had, are you still meeting resistance? Oh yeah, you, like there's always early adopters um, and you know, we're seeing it in, um, we're seeing the agents who adopted absolutely love it. It saves them loads of time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really efficient. They say the buyers are really happy. The vendors are really happy. It, you know, everybody has transparency in real time and people demand it real time. You know, the vendor wants to know what's going on all the time and it's ringing the agent. The agent's trying to take calls and bids and this is a lot of, lot of work and it was agent led. So, you know, an agent described the problem to us and said, look, this is, this is where I think the space is going to get resolved. And I think your platform's best because it's got the eyes as well. And everybody yeah. can easily access it and see it quickly. But but there's there's 
traditional agents that aren't early adopters. And, you know, a lot of credit to what they value because local knowledge, local communication, relationships with people, trust, these are all really core strengths of what an agent is. And, you know, so credit to those agents. I think, I think there's a balance in how they utilize and how they, how they use technology. But some of those strengths are really valuable when it comes to being an estate agent. So, I, look, I think, yeah. I think the consumer-led will win. Competitors will do it, so they'll do it. And it, I, I, I yeah. think the future is all private treaty bidding will happen online. And it's not that far away. I yeah, think no, that's no, I, uh, 12 months time, I think you're going to see it. Almost all houses will be. Will yeah. Yeah, no, look, absolutely. Bit. And uh, any of the innovators we've spoken to, people who are doing um, a standalone online bidding sites would certainly say the same. Although I, I think their figures for bids outside of office hours would possibly exceed kind of 33%. They think a lot of bidding happens in the evening time. So people are off work and, and in a position to think about it. But you're absolutely right. This is changing. But um, it occurs to me really that dot.ie, yourself and the team, you're serving a lot of masters. Does that get confusing in terms of conflict? Because obviously the people who are uh, benefiting, the consumers who are benefiting from accessing your services, but then there's the cli your client base, the people who are paying to put the information there. You know, does this, does this give rise to conflict when you're again, just serving so many masters across the transaction? I mean, I think the analogy of the chicken and egg is so famous for, for a reason, you know, like we have strength that we aggregate all of the demand and we have a strength that we aggregate all of the supply. Um, and trying to satisfy both in a really good manner um, can be challenging. Now, consumers want 24-7 responses, you know, there's examples of difficulty on the consumer side at the moment where not getting a response from an agent is the greatest frustration from an agent or an advertiser of any sorts in rental. Because it's impossible, particularly private, private actually rental as well is a big problem. It's, it's a, if, you get, if you put an ad on DAF for rental property and you get 200 inquiries in two days, unless you have the right tooling, you're not able to go back to these customers. And so that's a frustration then that makes the supply side or you know the advertiser look bad but but in a way it's our fault because we haven't solved the problem for this, the, the advertiser so now we're looking at tools like an automated bulk response that says you know we're having viewings on this date you can you know with your own branding customize that response and those types of tools you know arguably we've come too slowly with them yeah. they'll make a better experience for both sides and i think we should if we're if we if we do it right, and I'm not saying we always do it right. If we do it right, the rising tide will lift all boats and will help both parties. But we're not necessarily doing that because it's hard to get all of the product developed as fast as you'd want to. Albeit we have a very, you know, we have a relatively large technology team and very modern technology now. But um, it's still a lot of work to get products built that are customized. Um, Adam, you, just before we started, uh, just before we started uh, on air today, you reminded me that actually um, you and I were recording a, as part of an event there during COVID, so possibly a year, a year and a half ago. And I remember that actually it, it, uh, we were actually um, an event that was going out to estate agents up and down the country. So as people were locked down in COVID, 
um, we were we were speaking to the industry and part of that was a Q&A and I recall there was um, there was Q&A uh, there were questions came in from the audience of estate agents up and down the country and there was concerns about um, fee increases that they'd gotten from daft and and there was a conversation starting to happen openly on social media across estate agents in terms of uh, the increase of fees could these be tolerated but also some speculation about the future of daft and the speculation could daft get into the selling homes directly despite the fact that estate agents are your customers um, I, I presume you're you're aware of that kind of online conversation that was happening. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So there's two there's two questions there. I think the first is, you know, value based. Um, so are we giving fair value to the market? Um, and to answer that, I think there's a couple of pieces, but we're looking at our competitors' value versus our value. And our primary commodity that we deliver to agents is leads, be they buyers, be they renters, um, and the volume and the quality of those leads. So that's something we monitor really closely. Um, and there's solutions that where we can track, you know, in partnership with an estate agent, we can track where their leads come from. Um, and we have a, a Dublin-based agent that we're running an experiment with at the moment. And we can see in Dublin, we deliver three times as many leads um, as our nearest competitor. Now we're not three so times. Three, the, three times as many. Yeah, and and there's there's other examples. I mean, our general manager uh, Jonathan Carter sold a house recently. Now it was a super boosted ad on Daft in in Lucan, and at one point he'd received ninety six leads from Daft and one lead from our nearest competitor. So in those in those cases, now that's a that's an extreme example. Um, and it's not, it's only one property. So the, the group of properties with this agent were delivering three times as many leads and, and we're not three times the price. Mm -hmm. So I think it's about the value we deliver. And when an agent's making an advertising decision, I think they should look at those metrics. And we're happy to help people with tracking if they want to understand, you know, they can, they can organize it themselves if they want to put a specific number on our site. And do the same with my own where they want our help to do it we use a technology called iovox and we'd be more than happy help happy to help people because i think the marketing managers on the big agencies and then you know in the case of a smaller agency you are the marketing manager you're everything you're also the cfo and everything else in between but understanding where your leads are coming from um, and then making marketing investments around them would be really helpful and then the second part is that agent commission has come under a lot of pressure as a result of competition in Ireland amongst agents. And, you know, we're looking at international examples of plenty of examples where agents earn 5%. In Ireland, there's lots of examples where it's 1%. That's not good. And it's very difficult then for the agent to fund the, the advertising. And as such, we're looking to change how that pricing works and how that model works. And if you take the example of, you know, we're much more affordable than paper advertising, et cetera. But in the, in the, in the state where paper advertising was the primary solution, you know, you no longer need a window on the street. So you don't need a high street location. So we've helped you reduce cost there. The small agent can get access to all of the leads. That's true. But we have a subscription-based model. And if you don't pass that cost successfully on a per unit basis to the vendor, 
then that's effectively eating into your margin. And if your commission's 1%, that's not necessarily a very, you know, that's the margin's important. So what we're looking to do with our product, and we have a, a, a program called Premier Partner, and what we're looking to do is enable the agents to get their sub down to zero and pass the cost on to the vendor successfully. And I think vendors should be able to make a conscious choice about their daft marketing, and they should be able to go, I want a featured ad, a premium ad, or a standard ad, here's the costs. And if we can separate that from, let's call it the agent wallet via their commission, I think we can both work really well here. Um, and we need this engagement from, from estate agents to get the right solution. I'm not saying we've got it right yet, but you know, I was speaking to an agent last week and she said to me, 20 odd years in the business, she said, 20 years ago, I used to charge 700 pounds for advertising. Now, including your signage, including everything, it's actually less than that because I, you know, I would have given some, you know, she's based in greater Dublin area in, a, in an expensive area. And she said, I, I would have given somebody an advertising independent, et cetera. So I think we're giving better value than we ever gave, albeit it's difficult if it's not directly um, transferred to the, the cost isn't directly transferred to the vendor. And if agents, you know, and in some cases, agents compete by saying, I'll give you a premium ad on DAF for as part of the package. And then that, that doesn't necessarily help us and it doesn't necessarily help the agents if that's how people are winning business. So um, Adam, it occurs to me that you're, um, you're actually touching on something that is a bigger issue that we have touched on before, but it seems to be uh, when new estate agents are coming into an area, there's this almost immediate race to the bottom. And it can be difficult for existing agents in, in a town or village to withstand that. But it's so important that they do because this race to the bottom, nobody wins, including the consumer, because the consu there, is, there is no consistency of not just the level of service, but actually you can't stay in business at that level either. So I, I think that um, it, it was certainly a problem a few years ago and it seemed to get a bit better. And I, I wouldn't like to see us going back to that again, where individual estate agents are engaging in this race to the bottom where they're genuine, it can be no winner, including the consumer, because that's such a big problem. But I suppose, Adam, like within daft.ie, is there a plan to start selling properties directly? So absolutely not. Um, but I'll, I'll give a little bit of um, a background to that in, how I, how I kind of view it or how we view it. You know, one of the ways I frame it is that, look, if we can't do it from behind a computer in Dublin, now we're no longer based in Dublin, we're all at home scattered across the country, but, um, um, but if, if we can't do it from behind a computer, we're not interested in doing it. You know, the core, I might be the face of Daft and I, I have some, you know, I, I'm, I personally, I like spending time talking to people, but a lot, a lot of how we work and what we do is internal and we're, we're, we de develop technology. We don't sell houses. We don't have that skill set. It's not in our part of our DNA. We don't have logistical skills to, to manage keys and, and do viewings or, or any of that. It's, it's, it's just so far from our DNA, to be honest, that we would have no interest at any point in entering the market and competing with estate agents. And the other side of that is competing with estate agents. They're, you know, a really key part of our product. And if we were to, I'm sure very quickly, we would lose a lot of our asset. And 
it's not like we could win a significant share of business overnight. So I don't think on the commercial side, even if, if, I, if, I, if I did think we could do it successfully, I don't think it would be smart. Um, and as such, we, will, we have no intention as it stands. And I, I couldn't see that changing in the future. Okay, um, and albeit I don't have a 20 year crystal ball and I might be retired by then. So <laughs> you and me both, Adam. Um, before we finish up on the technology side, what are you most excited about what's coming down the tracks from your team? Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm excited about what I mentioned already on the offer side. I, I think it's going to be dynamically, it'll make agents more efficient. And, you know, like you mentioned, if, if there's a race to the bottom, efficiency tools are going to be important. So that's cool. If estate agents can make less phone calls and still really give the personable approach and approve bidders and do viewings, I think that would be cool. Um, I think it'd be great to see it on, on Daft or wherever it's housed. Um, and then the other side is, look, we, we're launching a product, an automated valuation machine. You know, again, it's going to be a guesstimate. It's not, you know, if you haven't viewed the property and you're not an estate agent with local knowledge, you're not going to get the valuation right. But it's still a very exciting tool for people. We're seeing, you know, the groups that we've tested with love going on, putting in multiple addresses, finding out how much their house is worth, how much their neighbor's house is worth. And then, look, if you're, if you're serious about selling, that can be very helpful for somebody. You know, I'm, I'm, oh, I just saw a beautiful house down the road. You know, it's X thousand. How much equity have I in my own house? And, you know, be fun on a Saturday evening. You can figure out how much that is. But, you know, all the call to actions are if you if you're serious, you should contact an estate agent and get a professional valuation. But but I think those types of tools, online tools that help people. I think what we're doing in mortgages could be very exciting. Again, online tooling, you know, our buying budget comparison engine. We're looking for elements of the online application journey now. All of those I think could be very exciting for consumers and for agents and bring more efficiency um, into the market. And very good. Very good. We look forward to, to learning more about those. That was Adam Ferguson, Chief Commercial Officer of Daft.ie, part of Distilled. And that's it from us this week. You can get in touch with the show on social media at iProperty Radio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. My thanks to producer Breed Malloy and the Hear Me Roar Media Production Team and to Luke Delaney on Sound for Dublin South FM. Until next time, thank you for listening.